0: Hello, everyone, and either welcome or welcome back to the gender libertarian podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube and on my Patreon page. So we've made it through yet another week in our very weird place that we are in right now as a country. And there are actually some tiny bits of good news to report on this week. A few which is more than I've had for the past couple of weeks. So I I will take any kind of positivity I can get right now, but I will go ahead and start where I have been starting, and that is what the unemployment numbers for the week ending on June the 20th, there was 1.48 million new unemployment filings nationwide, which if you've been noticing or paying attention or you've been listening, we seem to be I mean it's still declining week over week but it's not the huge drops that we were seeing week over week even just a month ago so it's it seems like for better for worse the the drop seems to be flatlining out a bit and like I said there is still week over week drop but not really anything to write home about so we still seem to be hovering around that 1.5 million mark. We were there for the past couple of weeks. This week we dropped below, at least below 1.5. And that is a bit worrisome, as if that's where we're going to kind of flatline out for right now. That's still a lot of people every week applying for unemployment and going onto the unemployment rolls that are already so huge. And adding over a million people a week is just still staggering. It's not what it was at the beginning of the COVID pandemic, but it's still insanely high. And there's starting to be talk of, depending on how you want to look at the timing of this, whether there either be a second wave of COVID to deal with, or that we just never quite finished out the first wave, uh, both Texas and Florida have stopped their reopening plans i've not heard anything about either state rolling back any of their openings but they have both stopped the, the the phased rollouts due to spikes in texas and in florida of covid cases why they are spiking that is a topic of very hot debate <laughs> but i that's just ah uh, that's one that's so hard for me to report on because it's it's so hard to get decent data it just, it's it's hard. It's hard to find good, reliable data on cases, especially on a state-by-state level. Uh, Florida actually does a fairly good job of it because when they put out their numbers, they put out cases versus hospitalizations versus death, and then they also break it out by age. So you can see where the spikes in cases are happening where the spikes in hospitalizations are happening and then the spikes in death and at least in Florida right now the spikes in new cases are amongst younger people amongst people in their 20s and early 30s the hospitalization spikes are people middle-aged people 35 40 to 60 and then of course the deaths are still mainly in the elderly camp but there are spikes that are happening with young people and hospitalization spikes that are happening with middle-aged people. And that's a bit worrisome because now it's not just, Oh, it's old people. Like if middle-aged people are being hospitalized now, that's, that's a situation where you might start to see ICUs and hospitals start reaching that surge capacity level. Like I said, it's one state. I don't know how well this maps out to other states because every state reports differently and they don't always give full data or sometimes the data is kind of mashed up with other data. It's just getting, getting reliable numbers throughout this whole pandemic has just been a fucking nightmare, be it on the federal or state level. It's just, and that's why I don't usually like tweet about it or anything because it just, it's, I, I can't find good numbers to give you guys. So I don't want to like spread things that either make it look worse than what it is or make it look better than what it is. And it's, just, it's become so politicized that it's, it's hard to even trust what anybody puts out there now. And that sucks because we really need to know, like, okay, what are we really looking at here? Like, can, can we please get some decent numbers? But back to the unemployment problem, I think this is going to be something where we might actually start seeing a bit of a rise in unemployment numbers because this is the time of year where, traditionally speaking, this would be like tourist season. This would be the time of year where people are traveling. Um, Pre-COVID, everybody was really looking forward to the 4th of July weekend being a big weekend like Memorial or Labor Day weekend because this year, the 4th falls on a Saturday. So everyone was like, okay, it's going to be a big, huge weekend. It's not like a situation where it's in the middle of the week. People are going to have three-day weekends. It's going to be great. But obviously, nobody's traveling right now. And a lot of the places that have beaches are going to be negatively impacted by this because you're not going to get those tourists that you were expecting to get. You're not getting the travel that you were expecting to get. So I can see this being a thing where in certain places or certain states, you start seeing unemployment rise up just due to the fact of employers having to lay off employees that they were expecting to be able to handle because you were expecting a surge in traffic, but now the surge in traffic doesn't come. I don't know. But on the flip side of that, New York City has gone into phase two of their reopening. So they're reopening offices, they're reopening restaurants with limited indoor seating. How that's going to work out for them, I don't know. I'm I'm really excited for them to get to phase three though, so that I can maybe go up there sometime this year. Maybe, hopefully, but it's it's going to be one of those things where it's really going to start varying from state to state how the COVID situation is handled. And then also it's, that's directly tied to the unemployment situation, because obviously if a state goes back into lockdown, then people are going to be expected to go back home and then go back on the unemployment rolls. So any kind of gains that were made could be very easily lost here in the next month or two, depending on... What happens? So it's still very, very kind of scary and up in the air. And it's just, if we have to go into lockdowns again, I mean, we're in no position. We have nowhere near recovered enough economically to be able to weather that out again. That's just, that's not, that's not going to end well. Not to mention the current political and cultural situation we're in right now. That's really not going to go well. Like, oh, that's going to be bad. But Fingers crossed that we don't have to do a second round of lockdowns and that we don't get excessive spikes in COVID cases that would necessitate such a thing. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm really hoping because I don't want to do that again. That was not fun. That, that was bad. And, and I'm kind of afraid that we probably are going to have to do it again, but I'm going to hope not. I'm going to hope not. I'm going to hope things are going to be okay. For once in 2020 that things will go according to plan and will end well and not in some kind of horrible, fiery catastrophe. <laughs> can, can, like, someone just throw us a bone, please, 2020? Come on. But moving on from that, um, there is immigration news this week that is not great. Um, if you remember, the President Trump had signed a ban on green cards for anybody coming in to get to apply for and get a green card. When he signed the ban, it was supposed to only be for 60 days. Well, anybody with half a brain could have told you that this was going to happen, which is that he has signed another order re-upping that ban for the rest of the year. And also adding on top of that, we are now suspending the the issuing of new H-1B and H-1A visas. Those are your skilled worker visas. People consider it just tech visas, but it's not just tech industry that gets h1a and h1b people it's all skilled labor l1 visas which that's another subset of the skilled labor market this is for more like executive type people like people that are going to be in the c-suite and j visas which the j visa is for people coming into the country to work as an au pair or to work in a household and if, if this sounds a little confusing to you take some time, some time to go look and see exactly how many kinds of visas you can apply for in the United States and how granular they get. Because yes, there is a visa specifically for people who want to come to the United States to be all pairs. Like that is a thing that we have in the United States. But obviously all of this has now been shut down until the end of the year. With the, the idea that we have to to save the American jobs for the Americans and we have so many unemployed people and so we can't be taking people in because we have people that need jobs and all these other people are just going to have to wait, blah, 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 blah. Here's the thing. To buy into that argument, you would have to not understand or be willfully not understanding how labor markets work. The people that are unemployed right now are not the people who would be filling those jobs. It's two different labor markets. It's two different labor pools. If you are out of work right now because the retail store that you were working in has shut down, you're not going to be somebody who's in a position to go take a skilled worker job in an office somewhere. You're not going to be like going into IT you're not going to be, like, taking care of somebody's kids. You're not going to be being the executive of a company. Like, it's it's the people that are out of work are not the people who are needed to fill those jobs that would be normally filled by those visa workers. So it, it doesn't make any sense. And for what it's worth, there's already been talk of other countries, because, I mean, other obviously other countries are not engaging in this nonsense, Um. Yeah, they're pretty happy about it because now they don't have to compete with the United States for these skilled workers. So the skilled workers are going to go somewhere. They're not just going to stay in their country because we said you can't come here. They're going to go to another country. So now not only are we going to have these jobs open, not have anybody to fill them, we're also not going to get that talent that would have been coming here otherwise. It's going to go to other countries, Which should be the exact opposite of what we want if we are at all going to try to get out of this economic nosedive. We're going to need people to come into the country and start new businesses and innovate and try to start replacing what has been lost because there are whole industries, I think, that by the time this is all said and done are going to be done. They're going to be over, they're going to be obsolete either because they're just not going to be physically feasible for people to do anymore, or because we've gone without them for so long. Everyone's just kind of like, well, why Why don't we just do it this way now for forever? Like, you see so many companies who are now moving towards just having their people work from home, which has spawned a whole nother industry. I mean, there's people that in January who didn't know what Zoom was. Like Most people didn't know what Zoom was unless you were a podcaster or a live streamer before COVID. Now everybody knows what Zoom is. Now everybody's on it. So there's going to be growth industries. There's going to be industries that die. You're going to need people who have the skills to come in and help grow the growth industries to make up for the ones that die. This is how creative destruction works. Yeah, I mean, it's just so self-defeating and it's, it's all just to try to appease a group of people who don't think about these things all the way through. All you think about is, there's Americans out of work. They need jobs. So we have to protect these jobs that those Americans aren't qualified for. But nobody seems to make it to that part of the equation that, oh, the people that need work are not the people that are going to be able to do these jobs. So, yeah. And just in summation, because I haven't made this point enough, it was never about illegal immigration. It was never about illegal immigration, the whole line of, oh, we want people to come here legally and we want skilled workers and these, like, these are the people that are being kept out of the country right now. And there was always going to be an excuse because this was always the end game. COVID's just the excuse. They've been trying to do this since day one of the Trump administration. They just finally found a reason to do it. So the whole bullshit about liking legal immigration and liking skilled workers, yeah, no. No. It was always about ending the immigration system in this country altogether, be it for skilled workers, be it for asylum seekers, be it for unskilled workers, be it for anybody. Unless you happen to have a lot of money and happen to be from the right countries, you're not getting in here. And for what it's worth, another thing that we should really be pursuing along the lines of immigration before other countries do it, because there's already plans for other countries to do it, is to start opening up the U.S. to people from Hong Kong who want to leave. I mean, if you if you want to stick it to China, there's no better way than to brain drain Hong Kong. Like, if for nothing else, then you just want to be a dick towards China, you should pursue that policy. Not to mention that it's just a good policy for the U.S. because, of course, we need more talented people in the United States. Like, it's just, it's, it's so stupid and self-defeating, and this is going to be something that's going to have lasting impacts because now the U.S. is going to be lagging behind because, like I said, these people are going to go somewhere else. They're going to go to a different country. They're going to do whatever it is they're going to do in that other country, and that other country is going to benefit, and we're not. I guess so stupid. It's so stupid. But anyway, moving on. We have another qualified immunity bill on offer. Uh, Mike Braun has put forth his qualified immunity bill, and it is not like Justin Amash's that ends qualified immunity. What it does is it inverts the standard for qualified immunity. As it stands right now, for qualified immunity to not apply, you would have to prove that whatever a police officer did to you was ruled to be illegal in a court, in the jurisdiction that you live in. What Mike Braun's bill would do is make it to where the police would have to prove that whatever they did to you was legal, that there was already a case that was decided that that activity was legal in that jurisdiction. So like I said, it inverts it a bit. It puts the onus back on the police to justify their own behavior. And it also raises the standard a bit because obviously it's going to be hard to find cases the same way it is hard to find cases that proved that something was illegal. It's going to be hard to find cases that prove that something was explicitly legal. But that should be the standard. I mean, if the these are police, like you should be able to prove that whatever you did was within the legal bounds. This is the way, if you are going to have qualified immunity, that is how it should be handled. And Mike Braun's bill also applies qualified immunity to all public officials, not just law enforcement. So there's that. I mean, I, I like Justin Amash's bill better. I would like to get rid of qualified immunity, but if qualified immunity has to stay, I'll, I'll take Braun's proposal. I'll take throwing the responsibility back on law enforcement for them to prove that what they did was illegal or legal versus having civilians prove that what cops did was illegal. Like, that's just a fucked up standard. So, I, I, and just like anything that any of us do, if you go to court, if you're a defendant, you gotta prove your case, you know so i i I accept that um more more news on that front um, the house did pass their criminal justice reform bill um it's going to the Senate. What's gonna happen there beats me probably nothing because Republicans have already dug in their heels on this like i don't i i just, i don't understand why this has to be explained but like read the room guys this is this is a slam dunk issue like there's like I don't I don't get it <laughs> like it's so obvious that this would be the thing that you want to get on board with but uh, for various and assorted really stupid reasons Republicans don't want to get on board Trump has already said he's not going to sign anything That involves getting rid of qualified immunity. I say test him on it. Do it. Pass it. Put it on his desk and see if he doesn't sign it. Go for it. Do it. But we shall see in the next couple of weeks what ends up happening with all these various and assorted bills that are floating around the House and Senate. We'll see if anybody takes up anybody else's bill. We'll see if we get any kind of reconciliation. See if we get anything that both the House and the Senate can agree on not holding my breath but it still is something I think worth lauding and being happy about that Congress is doing anything right now in relationship to any of this because like I said when I first talked about this I mean this is this is kind of unprecedented to have Congress seriously taking up these bills and I I would like to have seen more in the bill that came out of the house but I mean at this point I'm not going to be super duper picky because I will take something over nothing and nothing is what we have gotten for decades on this. So hey, I'm I'm happy to have Congress actually discussing and debating a thing that is within their purview to be discussing and debating and is their job to adjudicate and pass a law on. So hooray for Congress kind of sort of at least doing something akin to their job. Moving on from that, though, and to kind of keep the good news ball rolling a little bit, um, on the Ahmaud Arbery case, I know that feels like it was probably about like five years ago now, but yes, that is still an ongoing matter here in the state of Georgia. Um, they did manage to convene a grand jury. How exactly you convene a grand jury in the era of COVID, I'm not entirely sure, but they did. And Travis McMichael, Greg McMichael... Uh, The two guys in the truck and William Bryant Jr., the guy who was following in the car filming it, were all indicted on felony murder charges. Each one of them also has two counts of aggravated assault and one count each of false imprisonment and criminal attempt to commit false imprisonment. So charges have officially come down from a grand jury for the three men involved in the killing of Arbery. Hooray for justice. (laughs) When when this trial is going to happen, I'm not entirely sure because again, obviously with COVID, court schedules are kind of up in the air because of course you have to have a lot of people in there. You have to figure out how you would be able to safely social distance a jury and do all that stuff. So court dates to be determined, but at least there is movement on the case and there has been an indictment handed down and it does involve felony murder charges. So that's cool. I mean, I still, I still, though, I still want to see that DA's office investigated. Because to me, like I pointed out when I first talked about this case, there's two aspects to this. There's, there's what the McMichaels and what Brian did. And then there's the fact that the DA's office tried to cover it up. I want to hear more about that cover up. I want to hear more about what exactly happened in that DA's office. I want to hear more about who gave the order to the police on the scene not to make any arrests. I want to know who decided that this was not a case to be pursued. There's still another half of this equation here that needs to be addressed. So hopefully, maybe, fingers crossed in the future, we will get there too. But like I said, I'm happy that charges were handed down. Hooray for the criminal justice system. For once, we shall see what happens when this goes to trial, which I'm sure, I mean, obviously it will. Like I said, I have no clue when, and I'm sure it will be a massive story when it does. So again, a little bit of good news, a little bright spot. Nice to know that something is still working properly in this country. But moving on to something that's not entirely working properly in this country, and that is the Bubba Wallace case. Um, obviously, unless you've been living under a rock, you already know what's going on here. But allow me to back up and explain. This kind of all started, and I want to take it back to the beginning because it didn't just start with the picture in the stall. NASCAR decided last weekish—I want to say the beginning of last week—that they will be banning the Confederate flag from all NASCAR events. Which, if you've ever seen a NASCAR event, you know. People flying the Confederate flag is still a thing that people do. So NASCAR banned that practice. A lot of people happy. A lot of people pissed off. Um, Bubba Wallace was one of the drivers who was kind of leading the charge to get NASCAR to ban the Confederate flag. Um, he is mixed. He's half black, half white. Because that's relevant here. That's why I bring it up. So that happens. And then what, what seems to have happened is is Bubba Wallace was getting ready to go race at Talladega and somebody in his crew sent him a picture of their stall where, where they have the car and the equipment and the pit crew and everybody. And if this is the picture that, that Wallace got, that NASCAR released a picture, and I'm assuming it's the same picture he got, um, yeah, that's a noose. Yeah, it's the the pull rope for the door for the stall, but the end of it, and and when I say it's a noose, I don't mean like someone just like tied a loop at the end to try to make it easier to pull the door open and shut. No, that's a noose. <laughs> Ain't no way around that. So he gets this picture and I guess reports it to NASCAR and then it becomes this whole ass thing. Like the FBI gets involved because this is potentially a hate crime, obviously, Um, NASCAR does their own investigation. Ultimately, what ends up happening is NASCAR takes a tally of all of the stalls in all of the racetracks that are under NASCAR's purview. And they come back, it's, I think there was 17 stalls that had this particular kind of rope configuration. So not, not super common, but not, Wallace's stall was not the only one featuring this. And then The second part of what ended up coming out of NASCAR's investigation was that they found evidence that that particular rope had been tied in that fashion on that stall door since October of 2019. So it's not something that was placed there specifically to make a comment towards Wallace. Okay. Let me explain my feelings on this before going a little forward with the story. I can entirely understand how Wallace could, in our current national situation, in his current situation as being somebody who did advocate for NASCAR banning the Confederate flag, could receive a picture like that and take it wrong and and take it in that way that this is something that's targeting him specifically and that it's a noose i i understand that i can i can thoroughly completely understand where in in this particular time you would see that and you would react in a certain way and i can understand how nascar would feel about this because obviously that would be a huge pr nightmare and so they reacted the way they reacted i think this case, is really more instructive on how sometimes we all take something that we see. And I'm not, I don't want to say that Wallace did this in bad faith because I don't think he did. I think this was just a genuine, unfortunate mistake. Like you, you saw something that was taken out of context. You took it a certain way and you ran with it. And in this particular circumstance, it's kind of understandable. I mean, it's, it's, I I can see how somebody would do that is how somebody would look at that picture and interpret it a certain way, but that there is obviously value in perhaps before assuming the actual worst to just say, Hey, listen, let me go report this. Let me let this investigation happen. And then I will opine on it sometimes your first reaction to something is not always the best or correct reaction to a particular circumstance, to a particular situation, to a particular anything. And this is something that we see a lot nowadays. And whether people sometimes do it just as a genuine mistake where you see something and you just take it wrong and you run with it, or you actually do do it in bad faith where you're purposely misconstruing a certain situation and running with it to damage someone, to hurt somebody, to cancel someone. Because obviously we're having a whole massive conversation about cancel culture right now. And that's a little beyond the topic of this particular conversation. But I'm sure I will pick that up again later. In another episode maybe. But it's, it's instructive of understanding that maybe sometimes we all need to kind of have a cool off period. Before we comment on something. I I know that is not what is incentivized right now in this atmosphere. I know that's not what's rewarded. I know it's so, so, so very important to make the comments as fast as you can so that you can be the first person to comment so that everybody knows what you're feeling and what your comments are. And sometimes it's like, maybe don't. Maybe just let that marinate for a little while because I didn't tweet about the incident when I first heard about it because I was just kind of like, uh, I mean, oh, uh, that just, uh, and not that I thought it was fake, but just kind of like, there's going to be more to this story. So maybe let's just chill and let the story kind of evolve before we make any kind of judgment on the story. The second half of this though, is that a lot of people still, to this day, which the facts presented do not back up this, this conclusion at all. But people are treating this like this is Jesse Smollett 2.0. Which, no. What Smollett did was he planted that shit. Like, he engineered that situation. Wallace did not. He did not put the rope there. If the rope was there in October of 2019, clearly neither himself nor anybody in his team put it there to cause a controversy or to garner attention or to do anything like that. It's a misunderstanding. But, of course, (laughs) there's no... Room for grace or forgiveness anymore, and there's no room for Wallace to have just come out and be like, you know what, I I took it wrong, I was wrong, I'm sorry, because nobody accepts apologies in good faith anymore. So he doubled down for a minute. He did the, the infamous Don Lemon interview, and also on The View, which I didn't see that one. But then, like a day later, he kind of walked it back and said, you know what, maybe. Like, it's just been a really heated situation. It's been an emotional couple of days. Maybe maybe I overreacted. You know, not a full apology, but again, it's not been something that everybody has taken in the spirit in which it was given. And that's the second part of this problem is that apologizing has been so disincentivized by people who can't just be like okay cool you apologized all right sweet let's move on like there's no like people can't just be like all right thanks for the apology people still have to try to make a big fucking deal out of it you still want to call this dude a hoaxer and a liar and this and that and whatever and like that's just not the case it's not true like this isn't that this isn't Jesse Smollett this is just an honest mistake But you can't apologize for anything anymore. So now you have this situation where once you kind of go out there and you make your statement, if you turn out to be wrong, it's not like you can just say, I'm sorry, and not get dogpiled for saying you're sorry, for like admitting that you're wrong. Like you're, you're screwed no matter what. Like you're screwed if you apologize. You're screwed if you don't apologize. So... Might as well just not go through the eating crow of apologizing because what good is it going to get you? What? it's just it's so toxic. It's so, so freaking toxic. And I have no idea how to fix that. I, I hope enough people start seeing that though. And like I said, there is starting to be a larger conversation going on. About cancel culture and about apologizing and stuff like that just because a couple of the latest cases have just been so so insanely egregious that people are just like no this has got to stop like this is ridiculous this is this can't sustain like we can't keep doing this so we shall see what happens with that but as far as i'm concerned this is pretty much done i mean as a story like okay we thought it was a thing. It wasn't a thing. It's a good thing that it wasn't a thing because I'm very glad that like a hate crime didn't occur. Like that's always a good thing when the hate crime didn't happen. (laughs) So maybe let's just all be happy that the hate crime didn't happen and we can all just move on. Now on the topic of moving on, I want to move on to the last topic that I want to talk about because of course I would be remiss if I didn't talk about this given how much time I've spent talking about protesting versus looting versus rioting. Well, now we have moved on to tearing down statues. And by we, I don't mean the people who care about abolishing qualified immunity and doing police reform. I, I mean, people who I don't know what they want, to be completely honest. Um, I made a tweet and I stand by this one. And that is that people who are tearing down statues Are people who are trying to do the absolute least while making it look like they're doing something. And that, to me, that's what this is. It's people who don't want to put in the work. And the work is hard. The work of actually doing substantial change in policing in this country is hard. It's not sexy. It's not something you can put on the Instagram. It's not something that's going to get you on the news. It's showing up. It's going through the slog of getting laws changed. It's it's not, it's not fun. It's not cute. It's just, it's, but it's work. That's why we call it work. It's not super fun, but it has to get done. So this whole tearing down statue things, is just fucking stupid. And the, the stupidest one, because we reach peak stupid so fast now, the one that has been the most stupid is they tried to tear down the Emancipation Statue in Washington, D.C. And this is a statue, which, by the way, was paid for by freed slaves. And the, the commencement ceremony for it was done by Frederick Douglass. This is a statue that is not meant to glorify slavery at all. Obviously, as you can tell by the people who paid for it, and by the man who gave the the commencement speech for it. I, but they want to tear it down. And it's just, it's stupid. It's the dumbest thing. And so we have this whole conversation, again, about statues and where they belong and what they should be doing and and whether they should be here or there or wherever. I want to make a broader point because I think this is something that people who want to tear down statues or move statues or get rid of statues are kind of missing. Just because a statue or a monument exists does not mean that that particular symbol is meant to glorify the thing that it is commemorating. Like obviously the, the Vietnam veterans Memorial in Washington DC is not meant to glorify the Vietnam war. Clearly, it's meant to serve as a reminder that this happened and these people died and that was horrible. The reason Auschwitz was preserved as a place that we can still go to today is not to glorify Auschwitz or to glorify the Holocaust. It's to remind people this happened. Like this took place. Like, remember, look at this. Remember that people died over this. And that's what statues like the Emancipation Statue, are meant to do. It's not meant to glorify slavery. It's meant to remind people that slavery happened. Like, this happened to us. Like, this is a thing that existed and happened. And we want to make sure that generations after we are gone, the people who paid for it, remember that this happened. And it's the same way with Confederate statues. And yes, some Confederate statues are meant to glorify the people in the statue. Obviously. But just because that is the intent, I don't think that they should just be torn down because they do also serve as reminders that these things happen. Like, if you see a statue of Jefferson Davis and you're like, I don't know, five, and you ask, like, hey, who's that guy? Oh, Jefferson Davis. Oh, why? Who is he? Now you have to explain the Confederacy and the Civil War. And there's actually... I just remembered over at the DeKalb County Courthouse here in Georgia, there is a statue out front commemorating the lost cause. You you know how all that goes. And instead of tearing it down, what they did is they let it stand. And there is another plaque next to it explaining it. Explaining why that's there. Explaining what exactly the Civil War was about. And to me, I feel like that is a better way of handling the situation. Don't make the things go away because once the things go away, people are going to forget that they ever existed. Make the explanations have to be there by virtue of the fact that the statue or the monument is there. Leave that there in the public square and force those people who want it to be there to have to explain what it is it's commemorating. To me, I feel like that is a better use of time then just tearing down statues for the sake of tearing down statues because some of these statues that have been torn down is like you've torn, they've torn down statues of abolitionists I saw somebody <laughs> deface the statue <laughs> of Stevie Ray Vaughn. like somebody who has nothing to do with anything it's like that's just that's that's a musician like, what? <laughs> but it's just it's gotten stupid and out of control and like I said it's a substitute for people who don't want to put in work It's lazy shit. It's just like rioters and looters. You're taking a movement and diluting it and using it for your own selfish, self-aggrandizing purposes. Knock it the fuck off. Stop it. There are people trying to do real work right now and your nonsense ain't helping them do anything. Like, it's just, it's, I, I wish, I wish there was more pushback, but I know I mean, people can't be everywhere. You can't... Not everybody can go out and be fighting people in the streets. So... And and there has been pushback. Like, at, at the Emancipation statue, um, there actually showed up some... I believe they're tour guides, but it was one guy dressed up as Frederick Douglass. And he actually did a pretty good Frederick Douglass visual impersonation. Sitting here trying to explain to these protesters, why this statue should not be torn down and why it exists. And they were not hearing it, which is interesting because I thought we were supposed to be listening to what black and brown people have to say, but apparently that only applies if the black and brown person in question is saying the thing that you want to hear. And if they are not, then I guess fuck them. At least that's what I've gathered. There's an awful lot of latent racism going on in the progressive movement right now. That's also beyond the scope of this episode, but maybe I should do one on that because, oh my God, has the past couple of weeks just been like, oh, you guys just went full race essentialism again. (laughs) We're back to pre-World War II progressivism. Okay, cool. I didn't get the memo, but I see it now. So anyway, maybe I will do an episode just on that because it's been kind of staggering. It's been shocking to see just how fast the progressive movement has re-embraced some of their uglier past behaviors that were supposed to be enlightened, but were actually pretty freaking racist. <laughs> but at this point, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this one up. So if you did make it this far, thank you for listening. And if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. Take care and until next time.